Well, this morning, uh, I'm really excited about our chapel guests that we have coming in, and I'm kind of thinking about where you guys are in this transition for many of you from being at home to being uh, college students now, so this is your first year, and, and with that, with this being your first year in college, there's a lot of transition that happens. There's a lot of change that happens. Even now, I would imagine that some of you are uh, having your worldviews uh, kind of changed and altered somewhat, and I want to want to introduce you to someone who has been a big part of my life, my own spiritual journey these past couple of years. I've been telling friends about her, and the best thing that I can do to describe Suzanne Stabile is to say that she's she's kind of the Paula Dean of Christian spirituality. When she walks out, you'll know what I'm talking about. When she starts talking, you'll really know what I'm talking about. Um, she just has that very gentle spirit, but also it's endearing, and it's she's the kind of person that can catch you off guard. Uh, in times I've gotten to spend talking with her, watching videos of her lecturing and talking and uh, reading things that she's written, uh, what she's saying is very important stuff. And we wouldn't have her here today if we didn't think that what she had to say is very important for where you are. And so this morning, I want you to, to meet Suzanne Stabile. She is the director of Life in the Trinity Ministries up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She's also, she also was the first women's basketball coach at SMU. Um, and she'll talk to you about that experience as well as she comes out. So this morning, welcome Suzanne Stabile. Good morning. I'm not quite sure how to be Paula Dean. Um, I, I guess it could be the hair. I did hear on the Waco News last night that she now not only has uh, cookbooks for sale and does all that cooking thing, but she's selling mattresses. I don't know what to do with that. Um, so I'll, I'll just be me, and if you make the connection, then we'll be able to go with that. Um, this is kind of intimidating. There's one old lady up here, and uh, a lot of you. And so I want you to know that um, <clears throat> the last time I was here was a month ago. I was with the Spiritual Life staff. We had a great time. Time before that I was here, it was 1977. Olga Fallon was coaching the women's basketball team, and you beat me really bad. Uh, to my benefit, though, at SMU, we were called the Lady Mustangs, and Y'all were called the Barrettes. You should be more ashamed than that response. Um, my kids are four, and they range in age from 23 to 33. And so I tried to think about what I would want somebody to say to them if they had 30 minutes, what I would want my kids to hear. And I think what I want to tell you first is that I have so much respect for you. I, um, I don't have any energy for people who think that almost all of our hope is not in you. And I want whatever remarks I make this morning to be very honoring, but very challenging at the same time. And so um, I, I count you as blessing and you are my hope for what the world can be. And I want you to know right from the top that I believe the world can be better after your generation's contribution than it is after the contribution from my generation. I um, could give you lots of information. I could talk to you about a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm kind of part of the emerging church touring group. I get to hang out with Phyllis Tickle and Brian McLaren and Tony Jones and some of those people. and. They're all very polished and astute, educated folk, and I'm Paula Deanish. 
Um, and in those conversations, the piece that I bring to the table is to talk about liminality. Um, you know, I don't know if you know anything about the emerging church, and I don't know if you care, but I want you to. And uh, liminality is defined as threshold space. When you're in liminal space, you're not where you've been, and you're not where you're going. And so you have to hang out on the threshold trying to find some comfort in waiting. And we're not a culture that waits well. You guys don't wait well at all because you don't have to. Everything comes to you so quick. Um, Lucy's our executive director, and she's dragged me kicking and screaming into social media. She sent me to social media boot camp. At 60, I knew nothing. I know a little now. And uh, one of the things I know is that you can communicate with one another so quickly and so concisely. And so I think that makes your way of using that potentially very valuable. And so um, I want to tell you about the temptations of liminality, and then I just want to ask you some questions. The first temptation of liminality is to run back to things like it used to be. I know that this past weekend was Parents' Weekend, and some of you probably had your parents here. So just when you get accustomed to being here and being without them, they kind of come to check on you. And uh, when our kids were in college, Parents' Weekend always cost us more than move-in weekend because they knew how poor they were, and they wanted to stock up on everything. So we generally spent Parents' Weekend shopping for our kids and leaving them with loads of snacks and goodies and all the things that made us feel connected to them in some way. And then uh, I was always aware as Joe and I headed home that I was crying and my kids probably were not. <laughs> and I think the reason I was crying was because it was such a great loss for me to lose their hope and their energy and their vitality and their presence. So the temptations with liminality are two to run ahead and create something new real fast. So that means joining a group and finding a new identity and pledging a sorority or fraternity and doing all of the things that you can do to, to cement yourself with another group of people because then you supposedly know who you are except do you. And the other temptation of liminality is run back to the old way of doing things and to kind of settle in and strong belief systems and lots of opinions and lots of ways of thinking so that your mind can't be changed about anything. And I would like to encourage you to avoid both of those because this liminal space, the great spiritual masters say, is the most special psychic and teachable space that we will ever be in. So you're in the best space for transformation that you'll ever be. And if you aren't transformed, you can't transform the world and it needs it. It needs a lot of help. And I hoped that it wouldn't be in such bad shape, that we would leave for you something better than we found. I'm not sure that that's happening. And so the questions that I'm going to ask you came from Margaret Wheatley. Um, I've been carrying them around with me for about two years. And I've found in that that they're kind of generational questions, really. Every generation that I've shared them with asks, asks them again and answers them differently. But the first one is, does the world need you to be fearless? And I don't know if the world needs you to be fearless or not. I suspect it does, but I know that I need you to be fearless. And the reason I need you to be fearless is twofold. And the first is that I think perhaps the antithesis of love is fear. 
And I'll just tell you, at my age, I'm so tired of all the arguing over all the things that don't matter. You know, I'm married to a minister who used to be a Catholic priest. That's a good story, but I only have 35 minutes. <laughs> and um, the fighting in the church over dipping and sipping and dunking and sprinkling and pouring and the carpet color in Fellowship Hall isn't really getting us anywhere. But those are not fearless questions. Those are predictable questions. And I'd like for you to kind of hang out in the space of fearless questions, especially while you're here, because this is a very safe place for you to do that. You'll never experience community like this again, and you'll never know yourself better than you know yourself right now, today. So I, I want you to be fearless. And the other reason I want you to be fearless is because I think courageous people are the people who change the world. And courageous people are not people who have no doubts. They're just people who can accommodate their doubts while they try to make changes. And the second question I have for you is, who do you choose to be for the world? I grew up in Floyd, Ada, Texas. 5,000 people lived there then. And my mom and dad had built the first hospital, and my dad was a doctor in town, and everybody knew me. So when I left home at your age to go to SMU, it was the first time in my life that I could choose to be myself because I was Doc and Sue Guthrie's adopted daughter until then. And so in choosing to be myself, I made a lot of bad choices because I chose too quickly. I didn't do anything outrageous. I didn't even do anything much worth talking about. But I did choose too quickly for me to, at a young age, be the very best, most creative, most exciting, most excitable person that I could be. So don't choose an identity too soon. You don't need to. Good grief, you can be content just being a Baylor Bear. Y'all are beating everybody in football. When you beat TCU, it was the most astonishing thing since you beat me when I was coaching at SMU. <laughs> the third question is, how do I name myself? My answer is carefully. And again, not too soon. You know, I think most names are too small for us. So um, as you name yourself, name carefully. Think about what that might mean. You might name yourself a teacher or a healer or a leader or a follower or a mystic or a reverend or a wannabe reverend. Or Be careful with all of that because what you say yes to right now determines what you have to say no to when you're my age. And what you say no to right now might determine what you have to say yes to when you're my age. Uh, the fourth question is, how can you bear witness to what is? We're not very good in this culture at bearing witness. We're fixers. You know, we fix everything as quickly as we can. We don't bear witness to pain. We don't bear witness to discomfort. We don't bear witness to things we don't understand. We don't bear witness very well. And the older we get, the less capable we are of bearing witness, most of us. Bearing witness to what is means we've got to take a good, hard look at all the questions that will divide you from one another and from the rest of the world. And I don't want you to be divided because if we don't stick together, we're just in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. And my generation wasn't able to stick together. You know, we were the great individualists. I'm a baby boomer. Those are people who were born between 1946 and 1964. And, and we... Uh, thought we were individuals and we couldn't do anything unless we were in groups. 
And in watching you, it's astonishing to me to watch you do the things that you do for the world and for one another and alone and in a group that's not necessarily predetermined for you and by institutions. Bearing witness to what is means we have to take a good look at big things like the death penalty. A lot's been said in the last few weeks. There are people who cheered, not in any sense of taking an honest look and and a fair argument about the death penalty, but just because it's kind of become entertainment in some way. There are big issues that face you, and I have no doubt that you'll be perfectly capable of handling them if you choose some liminal space to allow yourself to become the greatest and the best person that you can be. I was talking to my husband who's sitting down here in the Hawaiian shirt looking groovy because we're coming to a college campus. He's pretty cool, actually. And I was talking to him about what I was going to say to you, and, and he said, well, you know, it sounds a little bit like a commencement speech. And I said, yeah, I know, but I never got to give one. (laughs) And so I want to ask you another question, and that is, can you work with what's available? I grew up in the United Methodist Church. I don't know how many of you are Baptists, actually. The fact that you're at a Baptist university, I guess, would assume that the majority of you are. But in the United Methodist Church, we do lots of lovely things, but we don't memorize scripture. So if you grew up Baptist, when y'all were memorizing scripture, I was making Kleenex covers out of tongue depressors and spray painting them and stuff. And so I'm not great with scripture in terms of quoting it verbatim, but I'm pretty good after living with a minister as his wife for a long time at knowing the stories that make up those books. And here's one of my favorites. And the reason it's one of my favorites is because it takes away any excuse that you have to say, well, we don't have enough, we can't begin. Because we can always start with what's available. And so my favorite story about that is, you know, the apostles had been out working really hard, and they came in and told Jesus all the stuff they'd done, and they said, you know, we're kind of tired and hungry. And he said, well, let's just go across the lake here, and we'll just go rest, you and me. And I think they were kind of whipped up about getting a little time alone with Jesus and going to hang out and just rest. But people heard that they were going, and they ran ahead of them, and they got there before them. And there was a large crowd waiting then when Jesus got there. And the crowd was there because they wanted him to teach them. And he did what he always did, which was respond to their request and to their need. And then it got to be supper time, and the disciples were tired, and they wanted him to themselves. And they said to him, hey, um, why don't we send them home to fix their supper, and then we'll have a little dinner together and kind of kick back and hang out and... Jesus said, no, you feed them supper. And they said, are you kidding? There's a whole sea of people. We don't have anything to work with. And Jesus said, well, what have you got? And they said, well, we have five loaves and two fish. And he said, well, then let's start with that. And then they fed 5,000 people. I uh, want you to start with what you have. And I need you to make the world a better place because I have grandchildren who are five, four, three, 18 months, 17 months, and one on the way. And I really love them. And you can make the world right for them. And I want you to, and I need you to. And then the last question I would ask you, and this is the hardest one by far, can you give up needing to make a difference? It's an interesting question to ask you at a moment when I'm sitting here looking at you wanting to make a difference. 
If you can give up needing to make a difference, then you, you'll be so much freer just to do what's yours to do. The Dalai Lama said one time, you know, don't worry. Your work will bear fruit in about 700 years. And I think that's absolutely something we should take a look at because, you know, in, in the end, it's easier to be part of something than to try to be the whole. It's easier to be a part of a chain of activity than it is to try to be the whole deal yourself. And so, when I tell you that it is my honor to spend these 30 minutes with you, from my heart I'm telling you I'm honored. And I have so much hope for you. And I believe in you so much. And on the days when you think nobody's thinking about you, I want you to know that Paula Dean is. And now if you'll stand, I'm going to close with a benediction. This is neither a typical benediction nor a predictable benediction. And if I only had two minutes to talk to you, this is what I would have used my two minutes for. So please hang with me until the very end. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice and freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Thank you very much.